0: Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show using the Zelle app to box 13 at greatdetectives.net. And I want to go ahead and thank uh, Caleb and Karen for supporting the program that way. You can also mail in a donation to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, that's P.O. Box 15913 Boise, Idaho, 83715. And I want to thank Carolyn and Russ. Thank you so much for your support. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as two dollars per month by going to patreon. GreatDetectives.net, and I want to welcome our latest Patreon supporters, Jenny, at the uh, Detective Sergeant level up $7.14 or more per month, and I also want to thank Randy coming on board at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support. Now, it is time for this week's episode of Dangerous Assignment. The original air date, January 7th, 1953, and the title is Colonel Chan.
1: Dangerous Assignment. Transcribed, starring Brian Dunleavy as Steve Mitchell.
2: Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to prove that sometimes the nicest thing that can happen to a guy is to get kidnapped. morning, Commissioner. You sent for me? Steve, does the name Ellis Chandler mean anything to you? Ellis Chandler? Sure. Otherwise known as the notorious Colonel Chan, soldier of fortune. He'd been in the Orient for years. Do anything for a fast buck. Right now, he's in the business of smuggling guns and ammunition into the islands of the South Pacific. That sounds like Chan, all right. He's
3: operating an air freight line out of Port Moresby in New Guinea. We've kept our eye on him for some time. So far, we've been unable to find out who he's working for and where the guns are coming from.
2: Oh, China, probably.
3: Last night, as Colonel Chan was preparing to take off from the airstrip at Moresby, our men decided to close in. But he managed to get away in a hail of bullets. That guy is as slippery as a eel in a
2: barrel of oil. He
3: can get very far, though. Early this morning, his plane crashed in the Coral Sea, just off the Solomons. A navy destroyer picked him up. He was badly injured. Where is he now, Commissioner? The destroyer is taking him back to the hospital at Port Moresby. Get over there, Steve. Check with Jim Turner. He's in charge of the case. Find out what you can from Colonel Chan. It's vitally important we learn who has been buying those guns and smashed the operation. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck.
1: The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another dangerous assignment. Each Wednesday evening on most NBC stations, you'll hear a great lineup of stellar radio programs. For comedy, Laugh With You Bet Your Life and Groucho Marx. Groucho is quick with the quips, and his cutting humor is sure to bring laughs for you and your whole family. Then from mythical Summerfield, NBC brings you the Great Gildersleeve. It's a laugh packed 30 minutes of fun with the water commissioner, Leroy, Birdie, Marjorie, and all the folks who drop into Peavy's drugstore. Yes, keep your entertainment date with the Great Gildersleeve. And from the front pages of America's newspapers, hear another authentic big story. Wednesday's a fine evening for radio entertainment when you set your dial to the NBC radio network.
2: i've got my assignment get over to a hospital at port Moresby in new guinea have a check with a notorious colonel chan soldier of fortune and find out who hired him to run guns and ammo into the islands of the south pacific it's late wednesday afternoon when my plane lands i hustle over to the hospital jim turner our agent in charge of the case is waiting for me and from the expression on his face i figure i can expect some bad news
4: well you're too late steve he's dead yeah died an hour ago severe head injury I went over to his office at the airport to see if I could turn up anything. Did you? Yeah, a letter. Got it right here. It was in his desk. Have a look. Mm-hmm. Signed by a man named Jarvis? He's a copra broker and mm-hmm. has an office here in town. He sent the letter to Chandler two days ago. Chandler run freight for Jarvis? Mm hmm. Now, in the letter, Jarvis writes that a client of his, uh, the name isn't mentioned, has expressed a desire to meet with Chandler personally. Jarvis has arranged for them to get together on the next trip. Meaning that maybe Chan was on his way
2: to meet him when he crashed. That maybe this client of Jarvis is the Mr. Big we're after. Right. I think I ought to pay a call on friend Jarvis. Looks like he's the go-between. Come in, sir. Come in, please. Thanks. Uh, sorry to bother you, Mr. Uh, not at
3: all, sir. Not at all. Your name is uh, Winchell?
2: Mitchell. <laughs> Steve Mitchell. Oh,
3: oh, yeah. well, my secretary said it was Winchell. Fool girl never gets anything right. Do sit
2: down, please. I uh, thought you might <clears> be <throat> able to give me some information. No, oh,
3: indeed. Uh, pertaining to...
2: An old friend of mine, Colonel Chan. Colonel
3: Chan? Well, I don't believe that I am familiar His with... His real name is Ellis Chandler. Ellis Chandler? The flyer? That's right. Well, by George, you mean to say that Chandler is the well-known Colonel Chan? Well, sir, that is a bit of news. Your old friend, huh?
2: Yeah, they told me at the airport that he'd taken a shipment out there. Didn't know when he'd be back. Oh, I see. I understand he runs quite a bit of freight for you. Oh, true,
3: true, true. Copra, you know.
2: Well, I'd hope that if the shipment was yours, you might be able to tell me
3: where I'd find him. Ah. Oh. Oh, well, I am sorry, Mr. Mitchell. I'm afraid I can't tell you.
2: He wasn't flying for you then,
3: huh? Uh, no, a busy man, our friend Chandler. Mr. Mitchell flies freight for a good many firms here in the area. I suggest you may inquire of them. Perhaps they could
2: do. Yeah, I guess I'll do that, Mr. Jarvis.
3: Oh, excuse me, please. Yes? Oh, yes, put him on, Miss Moon. <laughs> it's a long-distance call from a client, Mr. Mitchell. Sure, sure, I'll be on the way. I'm sorry I wasn't able to help you, sir. Well, thanks, anyway.
2: <laughs>
4: Steve, didn't you get anything out of
2: Jarvis at all? Well, just before I left, his secretary put a call into him, a long-distance call from a client. Oh? Could have been our Mr. Big, wondering what's happened to Chan.
4: Yeah, be nice if we could find out where that call came from, huh? Yeah, let's get out of here, Jim. Okay. Look, Steve, I have an idea. Yeah? The secretary of Jarvis... Her name is Miss Moon. Uh, she'd know where that long-distance call came from. Sure. Is she the, um... Uh, friendly type? Very. Well, if we played our cards right... She might give out with some information, huh? <laughs> you go back
2: to the hotel. I'll check with you in a while. But what about Miss Moon? That's my cab over there, see
4: it? Yeah, hey, th- there's a dame in it. Miss Moon?
2: It isn't a mountain goat, Buster. I'll see you later. Oh,
4: hello, Steve. I've, I've been waiting... Hey, what happened to you? You're soaking wet. Here, I've got
2: something for you. A lily. You can press it in a book sometime. Thanks. Now, look, Steve. Okay, okay. I took Miss Moon to a quiet little cafe for cocktails. While she's sipping a martini, I steer the conversation around it. Jarvis? So? So it turns out she hates the guy. Doesn't want to talk about him. Oh, great. So we have another martini.
4: This loosens her tongue?
2: Only her throwing arm. She starts pelting everybody along the bar with oyster crackers. Now she hates everybody.
4: <laughs> oh, fine. Fine. Sounds like kind of dull. Two
2: Martini Moon, a fat gent close by calls her as he combs the crackers out of his hair. I ease her out of the place and decide she'd better go home on the way we pass a lily pond. That's all, brother.
4: I know. She wanted to go in swimming? She
2: shoved before I could refuse the invitation. Well, the cops show up and I duck out fair.
4: And what happened to Two Martini Moon?
2: Last time I saw her, she was plowing across the pond in a southeasterly direction with the gendarmes in hot pursuit. Well, that sure was a waste of time. Not exactly. What do you mean? That dunking I got in the lily pond gave me an idea, Jim. According to Jarvis's letter, Chan and Mr. Big had never met before, so I become Colonel Chan and go on to meet the Big Shot. What? Why not? Well, Chan was on his way to meet the Big Shot. Only we don't know where. Exactly. What was Chan's position when he crashed?
4: Well, according to the Navy report, at a point some 30 miles off San Cristobal Island. He was headed south. Probably for the New Hebrides group.
2: Okay, so I take a dunking in the Coral Sea just off the islands. A ship headed in that direction takes me in. Go on. If the news gets around the grapevine that the notorious Colonel Chan had crashed and was picked up and was now stranded on one of the islands...
4: Sure, I get it. If you can't go to Mr. Big, he'll
2: come to you. I want this to look as legit as possible. I'd rather be rescued by someone, not in on the
4: act, if you know what I mean. Okay, while you get into some dry clothes, let me check with one of our men over in Bougainville. He'll know about the ships traveling the trader lanes.
2: By sundown, we've completed our plans for Operation Sea Rescue. Two hours later, I'm aboard a Navy flying boat, and we're well out over the Coral Sea, headed for the new Hebrides Islands.
4: This is about as far as we go, Steve. The pilot's going to set her down. Exactly where are we, Jim? We're approximately 10 miles off the Spiritu Santo, the largest of the island. That where we're going? Yeah. Our rescue ship ought to be along in an hour or so. Just what you ordered. Oh? We found out there's a copra trader out of Bougainville. The uh, skipper's a shady character named Wing Sue, affectionately known as Pigfoot. Two toes? Oh. Has a fondness for pickled pig's feet. He sounds real peachy. He's well known in the area, Steve. Has an in with the underworld, and he's always out for a buck. But watch your step, Colonel Chan. If the word's gotten out that the real Chan is dead back at Moresby, You'll wind up likewise. Don't worry, my will is made out. You'll get my bicycle clips.
2: A few minutes later, the seaplane sets down. I pile out in my one-man life raft and wait for a ship and a skipper called Wing Sue, otherwise quaintly known as Pigfoot. It's ten minutes of eleven when I look at my watch again, and then I see a ship approaching. I take the flare out of my pocket... (coughs) It lights up the sky with a pretty red glow. The ship shifts course and heads for me. It looks like I'm in, but a couple of minutes later, it looks like I'm going to be done in. The trader is headed straight for me. I stand up, wave frantically, but she keeps coming right at me.
1: Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. Twenty seconds from now, a fire will break out somewhere in the United States, causing untold misery and devastation. More than 11,000 persons are killed annually by these fires, many more are injured, and more than $700 million worth of property is lost. Now, the most tragic part of this statement lies in the fact that more than 90% of all fires in the home start through sheer carelessness and could be avoided. Here are a few simple rules of safety which will help you to protect your home and your loved ones from the ravages of fire. First... Do not smoke in bed or discard lighted cigarettes carelessly. Second, clean out old newspapers, magazines, and other inflammable debris. Third, promptly repair all defective wiring and electrical equipment. If a wire looks frayed or worn, replace it at once. Fourth, use only those cleaning fluids which will not burn. And fifth, be careful with matches. Keep them out of the reach of small children. You can't afford to gamble with fire... The odds are against you every time. Now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell.
2: The boat's almost on top of me. I dive to one side as it hits the raft. Suddenly, a line drops beside me. I grab at it and get hauled up over the side of the corporate trader. Waddling toward me along the deck is a pudgy gent with a big grin. And when I see what he's gnawing on, I know I've found my boy Pigfoot all right.
5: What's so, Most fortunate you're still alive. You're telling me. Most clumsy helmsman of mine almost hit you. What do you mean, almost? Very unfortunate accident. Accident? But happy ending, huh? Here. You like some Pickfoot? Not right now. It's very good. It's also my name, Pickfoot. Real name is Soo. For friends call me Pickfoot. You call me Pickfoot too, huh? Thanks. Your name? Uh, Mega Joe. Oh, so? What happened, uh, Joe? My plane got tired. Oh, so? Very happy for you, Pickfoot. Come along in his boat, huh? Yeah, thanks.
2: Here. Money's a little soggy, but you can dry it off.
5: Oh, so, big bank hole. Have uh, excellent place to dry off money. Maybe you... Thanks uh... a lot,
2: but no thanks. I'll let the rest of it dry off in my own pocket. Where are we heading? A spirit santo. So
5: me. There is navy patrol boat in area. Maybe you would like to be transferred to it, Look, huh? Look,
2: we should run into the patrol boat on the way in. I'd just as soon you kept me out of sight. Oh, so? And here's for doing it.
5: Oh, so, uh, what you say your name is? I told you, call me Joe.
2: The way Pigfoot's little button eyes keep flicking toward me, I can tell he figures he's got a distinguished visitor aboard and, more important, a chance to pick up a few fast bucks. So far, so good. We dock two hours later, and he's sticking to me like a brother. He hustles me to a back booth in a waterfront bar. Friend of mine, Rondi's bar,
5: can help you. Oh, for instance.
6: For instance. Hello.
5: Well, well, hello. Oh, so, Liana, this is a friend of mine, Joe.
6: How are you, Joe?
2: Better by the minute. Sit down.
6: Thanks. Well, what can I do for you, Joe?
2: You know, that's a leading question and could easily... Hey, wait a minute. Are you the friend Pigfoot was telling me about, the one who runs this bar? That's right. Wait.
5: Over there near the bar,
2: the local law.
6: Lieutenant Fabian.
2: Hey, he's heading this way.
6: Well, 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 Leanna. Are you perhaps trying to get your license revoked? I don't understand, Lieutenant. I can't think of a better way than harboring undesirable characters here. Undesirable? Your friend, Colonel Chan. What? You Colonel Chan? So what? I thought I made it clear the last time you were here two years ago, Colonel Chan, that you are emphatically not welcome on this island. I'll give you exactly two hours to clear out. Don't push. I'll shove off when I get ready. I see. Very well. That's your attitude. You'll spend your time here locked up, on your feet. Look, I said on your feet, Colonel Chan. Okay, I.
2: Oh, oh so oh,
6: you? You had better get out of
2: here. Any
5: idea where to? It's three block down, little hotel, room number seven in back. You wait there for me. Now you go quick. <laughs>
2: later, I'm in a broken-down hotel room. Apparently, the plan is still working okay, and I just hope I didn't slug Lieutenant Fabian too hard. Quite an act he put on. Well, two hours later, Bigfoot shows up.
5: Oh, the entire town uh, buzzing with story how you clip off a Sakono chain. Oh, Be very difficult for you to get off island now. Oh, great. What can be arranged for $1,000?
2: American. Well, ordinarily, I'd be delighted, Pigfoot, but it so happens I don't have $1,000 American.
5: Oh, so, uh, perhaps you're a friend with 1,000 American dollars, huh?
2: Yeah, that's a thought. There's a guy I've been doing a little work for lately. Who is he? Where can I find him? Uh, You say the news about me is all over the island, huh? Oh, yes. Then just sit tight. I have a hunch he'll find you. Yeah, I figure that the word will spread through the grapevine that Pigfoot knows where Colonel Chan is hiding. It'll... Eventually reach the ears of Mr. Big, whoever he is, and that's what I'm counting on. Towards evening, I doze off, but not for long. Who is it?
5: It's a your good friend, a Pickford. Hello. You were right about what would happen, Conor Chen. What do you mean? Well, after leaving you earlier today, I was contacted by your friend with much money, the man you work for. Oh? Yes, Lives on a nearby island and wish to talk to me. So I go over and brought him back. Where is he? How's he not far? I take you. Come.
6: Hey,
2: quite a joint. Yes.
6: I'm glad you like it.
2: Well, Liana, why the gun?
6: We want you to be our guest.
2: You're Mr. Big?
6: No, Colonel John. But we know who this Mr. Big, as you call him, is. And we believe you are quite valuable to him. Need I say more?
2: No, I get it. You hold me for ransom, huh?
6: Exactly. Pigfoot, you will make the arrangements. Guard, take Colonel Chan to the cellar.
2: leaves in the guard. A big, rugged-looking gent takes me down to the cellar. Somehow, I've got to get free and follow Pigfoot because he's obviously going to be heading for the boy who's behind the whole deal. We stop in front of a heavy door. Inside. I walk into the room, then just as he starts to close the door behind me, I suddenly throw my weight against it that swings back into him. Uh, before he can recover his balance, I nail him. Uh. Quiet corner, climb out the window and start after Pigfoot. I spot him down near the waterfront. He's covering every bar and dive on the street. He goes in, comes out a minute later, and moves on to the next one. He must be thirsty, Mitchell. What? Oh, Lieutenant Fabian. I uh, think he's rounding up his crew. Oh? Look, Lieutenant, I'm going to try and sneak aboard his boat. Why don't you pick up a couple of your men and the boat and tag along? Where to? If my hunch is right, to an island inhabited mainly by the gent the real Colonel Chan was working for, the gunrunner I'm after. It's dark by now. I slip aboard Pigfoot's boat without being seen and find a hiding place. Pretty soon, Pigfoot and the rest of his crew come aboard, and we shove off. Two hours later, we dock at a small island. I slip over the side, swim under the little pier, and wade ashore. I spot Pigfoot taking off up a trail that leads to what looks like a small plantation. And I spot something else in the underbrush. It looks like abandoned fortifications, probably from the last war. I get a sudden hunch and ease over to them. I find an opening and let myself down into one of the bunkers. And then I see my hunch is right, stacks of guns and ammunition all over. Yeah, this is the gunrunner's headquarters. I climb up out of the bunker and suddenly a guard with a Tommy gun looms up in front of me. The surprise is Mutual. Before he can pull the trigger, I knock the gun out of his hand. Oh. The guard goes down and stays there. I dive for the Tommy gun, but a foot jams down on my wrist, and I look up into a gun barrel.
5: Sorry, Mitchell.
2: Huh? Jarvis, the copra broker. That is
5: right. Hey, what is all... Hey, check Colonel Chen.
3: how you get here? That is not important right now, and he's not Colonel Chan. More like a government agent. Hey, Mitchell?
2: You're doing a talking, Jarvis.
3: Where's the real Colonel Chan? Dead? If so, that saves me the trouble.
2: You're the boy who's been running the whole deal, huh? That's right.
3: Colonel Chan never knew that. I always posed as the go-between because I didn't want him to get any ideas about trying to take over from me. But he got ideas anyway, apparently.
2: That's why you set up the meeting, to knock him off. (laughs) Well, a plane crash saved you the trouble. Good. Good. Now, after I take care of
5: you... Uh, please, what about the fee for Pigfoot, Mr. Jarvis? Are you kidding, Pigfoot? You tried to pull a fast one on Jarvis by holding me for ransom, but it didn't work. Oh, no, no, please. I was only trying to keep you in a safe place so
2: I could deliver you to him. Take a look at his face, Pigfoot. You think he's going to buy that story? You know too much now. The only payment you'll get from him is a slug. Oh, no. Don't
3: listen to him, Pigfoot. He's talking crazy. As soon as I take care of him, we'll have You're our. You're next in line, Pigfoot,
2: and you know it.
5: Oh, I... so sorry, but the barrel leaves now.
2: Stay where you are. No,
5: I don't move.
2: Jarvis oh. takes his eyes off me just the moment to swing his gun toward Pigfoot. That's what I'm waiting for. I grab his arm. Nah,
5: I'll
2: take that. <clears throat> hey, Pigfoot, you left your sandals. Mitchell, huh? Oh, Lieutenant Fabian, <laughs> we rounded up Jarvis's men. Our friend Pigfoot seems to be in a hurry. I'll guarantee he's never moved that fast before. Want him picked up? After all, he tried to kidnap you. But he also helped me a moment ago when he made a break like I was counting on him to. Now, let's figure he squared things up there. All right. Perhaps we can use him again sometime anyway. I say, look at him go. Go. Man, he's gone. Real gone.
1: star Brian Donlevy will return in just a moment. Here's a tip to help you breeze right through your housework every day of the week. Join the millions of American homemakers who every day set their radios to NBC and enjoy the host of popular programs broadcast on most of these same stations. There's laughter with the Bob Hope Show, Bob and Ray, and Dave Garraway. Meredith Wilson brings informal chatter and music to suit every taste on his show every day, while Tommy Bartlett presents Welcome Travelers from Chicago. Strike It Rich, the show with a heart, presents enjoyable listening with Warren Hull. It's NBC's prescription to chase away your housework blues. So, whether you're doing the dishes, dusting, fixing lunch, sprucing up the house with your vacuum cleaner, or any one of a million and one things that housework entails, be sure to set your dial to this NBC station where you'll hear the finest in daytime radio programs. Remember, you'll hear Bob Hope, Dave Garraway, Tommy Bartlett, Bob and Ray, Meredith Wilson, and Warren Hull... Monday through Friday, on most NBC stations. Next week, London. I've got to catch a killer who's got a seven-year head start. And that will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. Included in tonight's cast were Ray Dietrich, Bill Conrad, Paul Fries, Betty Lou Gerson, and Don Morrison. This is John Storm speaking. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian John Doe, and is directed by Bill Carnes. Be with us again next week at this same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another transcribed dangerous assignment. Tomorrow, hear both Father Knows Best and Truth or Consequences on NBC.
0: Welcome back. It was kind of weird to have Chan as a nickname for Chandler, particularly in that region of the world. But I guess it had to be that way for the plot to work with Steve going undercover. I wonder if it was always intended to be short for Chandler. Speaking of things that I wonder whether it was always that way, the whole story about Steve's bad date and falling into the pond makes me wonder whether that was initially something that they wanted to have happen on air and they just kind of had to cut it down for time. I also don't understand how Falling In gave Steve the idea, but I guess inspiration can be weird like that. Uh, these NBC network promos are something else. I've talked about the way they describe the man called X weirdly as a man who, like, gave up his name or doesn't have a name when he clearly does in the series. But in the great Gildersleeve promo, they call Summerfield mythical. It's a fictional town, but that's not the same thing as mythical. Middle-earth and Narnia are mythical. Mayberry is fictitious, and that's the better analogy. All right, now that my nitpicking's over, let's turn to listener comments and feedback. And uh have a comment here from Caleb, who writes, Adam, hope you and your family are doing well and had a very Merry Christmas. I was extremely excited to hear a broadcast of Spellbound on the podcast. It's one of my favorite films, and I thought the radio broadcast was excellent. It definitely benefits from being an hour rather than a 30-minute show. Thank you for playing it. Keep up the great work and excited for all to come next year. Uh, Thanks so much, Caleb. And Hilva uh, writes, I love Joseph Cotton. Regarding the adventures of the bad boy, Tim writes, here's an odd bit of peripheral trivia. In the Dark Tower series of novels, Stephen King named one of the bad guys, a henchman really, as Santos Ortega. King is old enough to have heard old-time radio when it was new-time radio. It's an odd coincidence, but no stranger than finding a character in an old radio show that was named Harry Potter. I tried to look up which one, but the search results are swamped by a character named Harry Potter in the 1986 movies, Trolls. That's the problem with uh, Google as a research tool. Recent pop culture references will drown out the actual information you seek. I would agree with you on that, Tim. I use Google quite a bit. But there's so much out there that you really need to massage your search query to find what you want. And there's definitely an assumption that the newer stuff is going to be what people are looking for, for the most part. Now, of course, when it comes to Santos Ortega, it should be said that not only was Mr. Ortega active in radio going back to the 1930s, he actually was active in radio revival programs in the 1970s, most notably the CBS uh, Radio Mystery Theater. That said, I have no doubt that Stephen King has listened to old-time radio and is quite aware of it. And you'll find with a lot of creative types that they are aware of old-time radio or classic films, And they kind of listen to those things, not necessarily intentionally to inspire them, but you can find ways that it works out in their actual work. I was actually quite pleased with the feedback we got on this year's uh, Encore presentations. Uh, When I first started doing Encores back in 2019, I was not sure that people were going to accept it. Because at that point, I'd been putting out a new string of episodes every week for 10 years. I realized that was a bad idea. To never, ever take a break. And I've been pleased that people not only understand, but also appreciate some of the things that we choose out to go ahead and bring you from our archives, and that there's a lot of what we've done in the past that listeners haven't heard before. So, again, I really appreciate your feedback on this. Speaking of which, we have another comment, this one from Raymond. The Adventure of the Bad Boy is nice to have available. The radio work of the prolific Ellery Queen, actually uh, two cousins, not generally extant. Its motif of a possibly murderous child was carried to horrific extremes in The Tragedy of Why, 1932, the second of four Drury Lane detective novels written by Queen using the Barnaby Ross byline. The prevailing old house macabre atmosphere of this uh, apparently inspired by S.S. S. Van Dyne's The Green Murder Case, a tour de force that John Dixon Carr, a specialist in murder mysteries with supernatural overtones considered, rightly so, in my opinion, one of the 10 best mystery novels ever written. This vintage radio program commences rather sluggishly to establish the principles and its denouement with the typically overdramatic and uh, unrealistic radiocinations, even featuring the well-worn, by this time, secret panel and passage, is as unbelievable as it is convoluted. But such could be, and remains thus, entertaining by lovers of such vintage fare, me included, demonstrating the impressive inventiveness that was so often seen in the Ellery Queen's writings. Further regarding the adventure of the the bad boy, the plot device involving rabbits being immune to arsenic Cold poisoning is indeed adroit, however I've found nothing to verify it. While well, certain animals, such as the hedgehog, mongoose, honey badger, and opossum, are credited with immunity from snake venom, and the anthropoid known as the melopede seems to be immune to cyanide. I find no mention of rabbits in such a context. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your illuminating comments, Raymond. And uh, then we have some comments from our listener survey. Holly writes, wonderful podcast. It's entertaining and also of cultural and historical value. Commentator is insightful. Interesting information is enjoyable to listen to. And Mike writes, just discovered your podcast. Subscribe to a number of them and absolutely love them all. Better entertainment than 99% of modern stuff. And Jim uh, in Pittsburgh writes, Great Detectives of Old Time Radio is fantastic. Adam's insights are very much uh, welcome and the variety and content. And then uh, uh, we have this from uh, Malacca in uh, Bothell and uh, Malacca. Uh, writes, I enjoy the variety of old-time radio mysteries presented on the show, as well as Adam's insights into the culture of the time, the actors, and writers. It's a fantastic show, and I listen every day. Thank you so much. Well, thank you uh, for taking the time to fill out our listener survey. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Kevin. Kevin has been one of our Patreon supporters since March of 2019, currently supporting the podcast at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Kevin. And that will actually do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software and be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Dangerous Assignment, but join us back here tomorrow for Mr. Chameleon, where... My
6: husband has an office upstairs.
0: On the seventh floor? Yes. Room 707?
6: 707. Oh no, no, that's an empty office. An empty office, that's on. Mrs. Denby, do you know this murdered woman? I'll raise her veil. Looks like an odd sort of person. Dark clothes and heavily (gasps) veiled. Well? It's... It's Madame Lubin. Who is Madame Lubin? She's a very fine seamstress. She used to work for Colette. Colette has a, a fashionable dress shop on the seventh floor of this building... near my husband's office. You say used to work. Do you mean that she left Colette's employer? Yes, yes, some time ago... But she was such a good seamstress, I had her come to my house occasionally. She was there only yesterday. Oh, this is awful. Awful. Mrs. Denby, have you
0: any idea who might have killed us, Madam Lubin?
6: Oh, how on earth would I know who killed her, Mr. Chameleon? What sort of a question is that? Very good
0: one. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box 13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.